Welcome to the Andy Staples Show, presented by Sling. Ari and I back together. Ari, uh, sort of back from travel hell. He's uh, he's still got to uh, still got to get where he's going, but at least he's not locked on an airplane anymore. He was last night. Yeah, I mean, I, I have complained to everybody in my family about it for three hours, um, and I don't want to be the typical sports writer who just complains about their travel. So it was. It I, was I think you're allowed to complain about this particular one because I've never actually heard of someone losing the key to the jetway to let the people who are on the plane off mm-hmm. at three in the morning. Yeah. After we were back at the jetway because the stewardess that they chose for our flight, uh, had worked too many hours. Flight that attendant, day. Ari, flight attendant, flight attendant, stewardess, uh, like bad word. Uh, yeah. Oh, does that, oh. oh, yeah. Like for like 20 years now. Oh, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> the flight attendants, uh, were overworked. Um, so, um, yeah, uh, it was awful, 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 awful. But I'm happy because the one thing that it, it got us to do is a podcast earlier in the day. It clears up your day, and you came out a winner, bud. And, that, and you always oh, come out on top, don't you? That's exactly right. Your your turmoil is is just more winning for me. Yeah, and, that's, and I'm gonna that's have to all scarf really down matters. a bunch of uh, mustard on your show for you. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm the, I, I, you know, I've, I've already lost that bet. So uh, Ari, I listen. Okay, so. For those who didn't listen to the emergency show on Friday when Quinn Ewers was named the starting quarterback at Texas, Ari and I have a bet. Bijan Robinson, the, the running back from Texas, has his own Dijon Mustard, uh, Bijan Mustardson. And Ari and I made a bet because Ari has been a big believer in Quinn Ewers this entire time. And I feel like he needs to just show it. I, I, I it's think the first time in Andy's staple show history that my side was chosen for me. Let the record show. Your side was chosen for you by you, by your actions. I think that Quinn Ewers the is, gonna, is the right person to start. I don't know if feeding me to the Alabama Wolves is the way I wanted to go about it, but um, you know, hey, uh, for the show and for my for my point of view, I'm happy to do it. I already have a strategy in place that I'm not going to share with you just in case I happen to backdoor cover that game. Um, and is it involved? Hot, soft pretzels? Because that would be a great way to do it. That yeah, would be a great way to do it. Uh, it'd, it'd be painful. <laughs> yeah, I actually didn't think of you. You gave me your strategy. Um, I, uh, no, there's no way. So for those who don't know, if Alabama covers, Ari has to eat a whole bottle of Bijan Robinson's mustard. If Texas covers, I have to eat a whole bottle of Bijan Robinson's mustard. We're going to set a four-hour time limit. You can eat it plain or you can put it on something, but the entire bottle has to be exhausted. So like, if you want to go hot, soft pretzels, which is a delicious thing to dip in mustard... You're gonna have to eat a lot of pretzels. Yeah, we got to get through that bottle. We got to figure out how to do it for the show, because a four-hour time limit. Unless people want to watch me eat for four hours, we can time lapse it, or we can we can say it's an hour. We can say it's during the show. You want to change the terms? Um, I don't know. I feel like if you're gonna do it, you just have to do it in an hour. All right, ah, done. It's done. like what is the committee is met. We we have a quorum. What <laughs> what is the what is the extra time gonna do? It's gonna be miserable either way. Might as well That's just get true. it over with. Oh. It's, it actually gets, for those who've never done any sort of eating competition, it actually gets worse the longer you go. Yeah. So, and this can't right. possibly be worse than eating the, the, the death chip. So I've already think I've countered the mountain of like awful things to eat on the show. So everything that we, we do here, but it'll be funny because I said I was so excited to watch this Texas Alabama game because I wanted to see Quinn play in, in that competition. And their opener, I think is on Longhorn Network, which if you have sling, you get. You do? Uh, you got it. But, That's right. You got the Longhorn Network. So a lot of people aren't going to get to watch that. So it'll be the first nationally televised um, game of his career against Alabama. So I was excited to watch it before, but now my life depends on it. So I'm looking forward to it. And, you know, I, I think I can do the mustard thing. I, I really like the Dijon mustard. And also the friendly f- folks at the Bijan Robinson mustard company said they would provide the mustard for us. So Which is which is nice. Yes. I, I want a whole case of it anyway. Yeah. I, I love Dijon mustard too. Uh, so BetMGM.com has the top ten Heisman contenders. They put these out on Monday, Ari. Did you know this Alabama Texas game will feature four of the top ten Heisman contenders, two of whom actually have a chance to win the Heisman. <laughs> That's right. Um Wait, so who are the and that would be Bryce, Bryce Young, Young and, and Will Anderson who play for Alabama. Yes, and then Bijan Robinson and 
and, and Quinn, Quinn Ewers. Ewers who Quinn Ewers is twenty to one to win the Heisman. These people are insane. I mean, do you think that the odds should be worse? Yes. Yes. What? So, like, I think our friend Bud Elliott tweeted out, like, would you rather bet 20 to 1 that Quinn Ewers wins the Heisman or 8 to 1 that Texas makes the playoff? And I think that Quinn Ewers winning the Heisman at 20 to 1 is better odds. It's more likely than Texas making the but playoff. But Texas, Texas is not making the playoff. So that's that's easy. If um, Texas makes the playoff, it'll likely be because Quinn Ewers was very good. So... Um, True. You know, if, if you put yourself in that that frame of mind, you always want to go for the best odds. And like, if I look at this right now, I mean, the person who wins the Heisman might not even be on this list, right? So, like, if you think about, if you think about like the best way to go about it, like to me, I've always been along odds better when it comes to these types of things. And like, if I look at this list here, um, you're looking. Well, at, let's let's go over the list. Yes. C.J. Stroud, Ohio State quarterback, is the favorite at two to one. The defending Heisman winner, Bryce Young, 7-2 to to repeat, become the only repeat Heisman winner since Archie Griffin, who was the only repeat Heisman winner. Uh, Caleb Williams at USC is 6-1. to Bijan Robinson, 16-1. to Will Anderson, Alabama linebacker, the actual best player in the country, 20-1. to Quinn Ewers, 20-1. to Here's the ultimate value play right here. Oklahoma quarterback Dylan Gabriel, 20 to 1. Dylan Gabriel is going to put up massive numbers this year. Oklahoma is going to win the Big 12. He's going to be in the mix. I don't know if he's going to win it. I don't know if he's going to go to New York, but he's going to be in the mix. You're already so, making the case for who you should pick because that's, that's who I was going to take. That's an easy one. Travion Henderson, Ohio State running back, 20 to 1. He's going to be great too. Uh, Florida quarterback Anthony Richardson, 20 to 1. Very intriguing because the skill set is there, but. You don't know if he can stay healthy. You don't know what he's going to look like in a, in a brand new offense with a new coach. So who knows? Clemson quarterback DJ Uyunglele, 20 to 1. He'll either get better or he'll get benched in favor of Clay, Cade Klubnik. So, so your pick is Dylan Gabriel, right? Uh, on this list, in terms of value, you also have to take about Dylan value. Gabriel. Like, I think it's unquestionably 100%. Dylan Gabriel. And this isn't shtick either. But I, yeah. I would think that throwing fifty bucks or twenty bucks on Quinn would be a good bet, bet too, rather than put a hundred bucks on on CJ, because it's like everybody thinks that CJ is going to win it. But with all the crazy stuff that happens in college football, you know, maybe somebody who wins wins the Heisman, like I said, is even on this list. But I would take the two quarterbacks in a conference where prolific offensive numbers are prevalent, schedules aren't overly difficult, and like if the fantasy land happens. And the problem with Texas, and the reason why I would go with Gabriel over Quinn, is because Texas has to play Alabama, and that's going to that's gonna be a really tough thing for people to I watch. I go with Gabriel over Quinn because I know he's going to put up huge numbers, and they're going to win. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I don't know if Texas odds. is going to win. Yes, but I'm saying if I had to bet any of the two on this list based on the odds, I'm not going to bet on Will Anderson, even though I think he would be third. I actually think that might be value, too, because I think— We're getting to the, the point world... as, a, as a voters where we're trying to think about it differently. Yeah, you've got people like me who— correctly believe that Will Anderson was the best player in the country last year. Who did you vote for last year? You did last anyway. year? One? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I he put Aiden Hutchinson number one last year, but I think that voters are more likely to... Will Anderson was better than Aiden Hutchinson at doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, maybe that's the, the right take. I don't, I don't know. I thought that... He had 33 and a half tackles for I'm loss. Not, I am not sitting here <laughs> arguing with you that Brian Anderson is the best defensive Will Anderson. sorry what did I say Brian Anderson <laughs> Brian Anderson there's Bryce there's a Bijan like just cut me I mean it's like a lot I have, of I'm, on, I'm running on two hours of sleep here two of which happened on an airplane that wasn't air conditioned um Will Anderson's the best player in college football and I think he was last year too like the person who won the Heisman last year wasn't even the best player on his own team so Correct. like so like I'm with you on that 100% the reason why I chose Aiden Hutchinson is because he had the best performance um for a transcendent win for his program that kind so you of, based it off one game instead no, of I mean, He had a great season? year. I mean, it's not like he had a bad year. <laughs> but it wasn't as good of a year as Will Anderson. I know, but I'm just saying, like, it's just, to me, I thought Aiden Hutchinson was was a program lifter. I think that you have to, like, think about, like, who, like, the way that I was taught to vote for the Heisman is you have to vote for the people that you think told the story of the season. Who is the best player? It's not, it's, you vote for the best player. It's, it's never been the best player because the best player never wins. It's supposed to be the best player. I know, but the way that I vote for the it Heisman. Says most outstanding player. Which, which person can you not mention or that you have to mention while telling the story of the season? Now, as good as Will Anderson was. 
You they're not in the about, national championship game without Will Anderson. Did Michigan make the national that. championship game? No, they did not. Did Michigan beat Georgia? No, they did not. Alabama did beat Georgia the first know, time they played. And the person who was rewarded for that was the quarterback. And if you I go don't. back in time and, and ask people about last year's Alabama team in five years from now, they're not going to be talking about Will Anderson. They're going to be talking about Bryce Young, which is why this award. They will talk about Will Anderson in the same way that do you Alabama think that the people talk Thomas. Do you think that the regular casual college football fan even knows who he is? I don't care about the regular casual college football fan. I know, but I'm saying the Heisman Trophy. understand what the game is The Heisman Trophy about. is a national award given to the person who is the most outstanding player. And I know you're going to say the best player. I know. But the most outstanding player as it pertains to who tells the story of the season. And like, no, it's just supposed to be the most outstanding player. I know, the most That's outstanding it. player has won it the says. award in like 50 years. So, like, you know, there's a, how many offensive linemen have been the best player at their position I mean, there have been years where the best player in college football is a punter. Like that's Orlando Pace. And, and didn't yes, win it. I realize that's the same year that Danny Werfel won the Heisman, and we got these sweet hats. Who do you think but, was better at their position, Danny Werfel or Orlando Pace? Orlando Pace. Who do you think is better than Orlando Pace at their position in the history of college football? Jonathan Ogden? Maybe. But I'm, I'm just saying, like, that's not the way the award works. So, like, in your world of vote for the best player, I wish that was what the award was, but that's not what it is. Well, Brian Gann with a good point. Most outstanding player that has to play at a blue blood. I, I will I will amend that. It's the most outstanding quarterback, running back, or receiver who plays for a team that you've heard of that won at least nine games. That's that's what it and is. And also, Will Anderson was my second pick. I I went two defensive players with one and well, two. Well, I appreciate because that. like I do think uh, I, I wish you'd actually pick the better player, but that's cool. You know, and that's fine. If you think that my logic is flawed, I understand that. That's all right as voters to disagree. But the fact of the matter is, is that when you look at this list and you're trying to figure out exactly how you'd want to bet it, you have to put yourself in the minds of the people that don't have any imagination at all and just vote, yeah. oh, really good quarterback on best team. I'm just going to auto. I know, but it, I, I, I realize that's how it's going to go down is the people with no imagination will carry the day. And like Bryce Young won the Heisman on that which one Which unfortunately ta- is the truth of so many different things did, in life. Did Bryce Young win the Heisman because of the Auburn drive? Maybe. If that Auburn drive didn't happen. No, I think he won the Heisman because of the SEC championship game. Yeah, I mean, he, he played really, really well in both of those Which scenarios. without the Auburn drive. You know, yeah, the I, Auburn drive, I think. If they lose to Auburn, maybe they don't do that. Because C.J. Stroud was the favorite before the Auburn game, wasn't he? I think so. I think so. he was the odds-on favorite at that time. And then Bryce Young um, led that, that drive against Auburn that was insane. And then they kicked the crap out of Georgia in the SEC championship game. And I was like, okay, there it is. So, like. I mean, I guess quarterback at Alabama and quarterback at Ohio State are clearly the best odds. But, like, as much as, like, B. John Robinson, you can make the case is as good at his position as anybody else's at theirs, right? Like, is B. John Robinson much worse as a running back than Will Anderson is as a rusher linebacker? Uh, Will Anderson is transcendent and the best of that type of person who's come along in at least 20 years. So, yes. Do you think he'll Will be the Anderson number one overall pick in the draft next year? There have been really good running backs. Do you think he'll be the number one pick in the draft next year? If if there's not a quarterback needy team at number one. Yeah. I mean, he's insanely good. I'm not trying to like yeah. anybody. He will was... be number one. if He would have been number one this year had he come out. So if if a team needs a quarterback, they're going to draft C.J. Stroud or, or but the whatever thing that, they think the, is the The point of this whole conversation here, Andy, is that you're not just betting on how good Will Anderson is because everybody knows it. You're also betting on the temperament of the voters but and if, how they're going to go about it. If you a couple them. bucks on a, on a 20 to 1, Will Anderson, because maybe he has a, a, an unbelievable... I don't even know if he can repeat what he did last year, but but maybe he does. Quinn, uh, uh, Dylan Gabriel, because he's gonna he's a quarterback at a Blue Blood program who is going to put up huge numbers, <laughs> and they're going to win games. So they'll, they'll win... Even if they don't win the Big 12, they'll win the minimum number of games required. you got to win nine games. So they'll win the nine games at least, and he'll put up massive numbers at a Blue Blood. And then Anthony Richardson. I was just going to ask you, what is your? I pick? don't know if they're going to win enough games, but if he is good enough to compete for the Heisman, they might. Yeah. Also, like Oklahoma quarterback winning the Heisman has been such a successful it's path. A, it's a good formula, you know. I mean, yeah. and I know that Lincoln Riley's not the coach anymore, but I do think that they yeah. have the talent and they play in a conference where it could be the sexiest situation. And Dylan Gabriel can play. Like, I don't know if people give him enough credit. Like, oh, he's, he's really, really good. good. So, um, Re- reuniting with Jeff Lebby who was the OC at UCF his freshman year, which was probably his best year. Even though we were just at each other's throats at 1022 in the morning uh, on a Monday, I think that we both, at the end of that arc of a conversation, 
agree that the best value plays Gabriel, right? I agree. Yes, absolutely. Because he fits all the requirements of those uh, the uncreative people who are voting that you're talking about. But so does Caleb like, Williams, and he's six to one, as Brian Gann just asked. So like, uh, Caleb Williams plays for Lincoln Riley in an offense, but like, I don't know if they will win enough games either because they're like. I I think Oklahoma may be in the playoff conversation either because they're going to make the playoff or they're just in it deep into the season. Let's continue this conversation because you just like freaked out over best player overall, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Does the team have to be like, if you want to give the Heisman to the best player mm-hmm. and the best player is not on a very good team, how mm-hmm. do you, how do you kind of work through this is that? The Paul, the Paul Hornung. Well, it's like, what, what if, what if Caleb Williams puts up insane numbers and USC is eight and four? I don't think he'll win it. But if he's the best player, I'm asking I'm you how you would him. vote for him. I would vote for him if he's the be- if I think he's the best player in the country. So have you been voting for defensive players for the last ten years? The first the first vote I ever cast first place was in Dominican Sue. That was the first year I was a Heisman. Voter. Okay, so you 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 haven't like changed the way that you've thought about defensive players as you've always no, just voted I had, for the best I had players. Honey Badger on my ballot. Now I didn't have Honey Badger one in 2011, but I had him on my ballot. Okay. So you've always been like the best player on the best team yes. guy or the best, best player? The best player. Period. Yes. Okay. Okay, well, if that's your, if that's your way of going about it. Do you ever think here's about how, how you here's, think here's, that other people are voting too? What's that? Do you ever consider how you think you know other people are going to vote to get the I best? I don't care how other people are voting. But like, it's like voting for the presidential election, right? You want to vote for the candidate that has you're a chance to calling me a Ross Perot voter? Is that what you're calling I don't really understand politics enough to know it, but like, if you wrote somebody in last year, you wasted your vote, right? <laughs> Listen, it says vote for the most outstanding player. So I vote for the most outstanding player. I, I take Then why do you season. consider anything about the season? You don't, right? No, you have to consider the entire season. No, but you That's, don't consider the record of the team, season. though. It's an award for this season. But you don't consider so, the record of the team. I consider what the player did this season. Okay. So the most outstanding player this season. So I look at this season and this season only. What happened last year doesn't matter. What happens next year doesn't matter. And I say, if I were drafting a college football team, what player would I draft first? Using only the data from this season. That's good. So did you... uh think about anybody else in that scenario. Like, I mean, if you're like looking, like, are you sure that like, so like last year? So like Will Anderson is the, the slam Will Anderson dunk. was, what was your whole ballot? Do you remember my, I, it was Will Anderson. Oh, great. Now, now I can't think of it. It was Trayvon Walker um, on your ballot. Trayvon Walker was not on my ballot, but Trayvon Walker was not one of the best. Trayvon Walker was a talented player with a very high ceiling, but he was not one of the, he wasn't even necessarily the best player on Georgia's defense. Was Aiden year. Hutchinson on your ballot? I believe he might have been number three. Okay. And then I think I had either – I had either – I think I had Bryce Young number two. I have to go back and I think look. Bryce Young was third. C.J. Stroud – it might have been Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, because I was trying to decide between – like Aiden Hutchinson was, was in that mix Because like I'm like the big Ohio State homer, but C.J. wasn't even on my ballot because of the way they lost that Michigan game. It's like I take that into account. Like your job yeah. as a quarterback. I'm like, not sure how much I blame CJ for that, but it's not his fault. But like the quarterback yeah. at Ohio State winning the Heisman the year they lose to Michigan just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and and look, CJ Stroud and Bryce Young. I, I think the NFL people will like CJ better. They will. He'll be the first pick traits. in the draft if there's a quarterback. But I think needed. Bryce Young may actually be a, a just as good or better college quarterback because of his you know his unique skill set. Like. Just the way he can kind of float, like the way he floats behind the line of scrimmage and keeps plays alive. Yeah, you can't do in the NFL, but you can sure as hell do now in college football, and he's great. And there's a huge distinction too between best college player and best pro prospect. And I think people, I think not the same thing, conflate those two things. And yeah, but Will Anderson just happens to be both because he's an incredibly productive college player who also and a a, a big pro pro prospect. Yeah, but I do think that people like because I'm like looking at the draft board right now, and it's like Jordan Davis was the trendy pick for the first half of the year, and then he got gassed in the SEC championship game, so he lost his. Is that why he's he's not on yours? Actually, Jordan Davis might have been on mine. Okay, so Um, you went all defense. 
I didn't go all defense. I definitely had one of the two quarterbacks on there. I have to okay. go back and look. Yeah, yeah. I need to go back and look. I know Will Anderson was number one. It was tough because it, it felt like everybody was kind of packed in there. Yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't actually remember exactly how I voted too, but like I was the only person that I don't think had Bryce Young on the ballot at all. Because I think that if you're not if you're not even the best player on your own team, then you shouldn't be on the ballot. So Greg and Mary ask if Jackson Smith and Jigba and Will Anderson have a big season, do they cancel votes for the QBs on their team? I mean, Will Anderson didn't cancel enough votes for Bryce Young to keep him from winning last year. So the thing that's that, a good question, that people though. have to understand is that the majority of the people who vote for this award don't have any imagination with it. They just look at the best team's quarterback and they figure out which person has the best stats and they just write them in. Yeah. De- Devontae Smith was so freaking good that you could not ignore the fact. Like, I voted for Devontae number one. I didn't vote for Mac number one. Now, I think I had Kyle Trask in my ballot last year or that year. And I think I, if I went back and had to do it over again, I would have put Kyle Pitts in that spot. Yeah. Because he was the, the more special. It's like, I actually think that you reason. could make the case that Kyle Pitts is a more transcendent tight end than Will Anderson as a linebacker. They're different mm-hmm. years, but I think that like there's certain players, like, I mean, Kyle Pitts to me will it's, be a, that one's close. Will be that, a Hall that of Famer. Is a, right, that is a once in 15, 20 years type player. So that's a better comparison. Yeah. So if that's the way so, you're looking at it, then I think that that makes sense. So like, I don't yeah. have to vote the same way as you to appreciate and understand. Yeah, and the Devontae your, Smith thing, I felt like there was no, it was so obvious. Yeah. He was so good. Yeah. And, and, you know, really made that team go. So who was the last non-Alabama, sorry, the last non-Alabama um, or the last non-Alabama non-quarterback to to win the Heisman? Uh, I mean, I think you got to go well, back to even before 2000. I'm looking at the list right now. Non-Alabama non-quarterback. Very interesting. Ron Dane in yeah. 1999. Wow. That's crazy. Because Devontae Smith won it um, as a not, and Derrick Henry, Henry won, won it, it. and uh, Mark Ingram won it. So the last yeah. three players who weren't quarterbacks that won the Heisman were all Alabama players. That is wild. I, I had not realized so that. So I just like realized that as you're looking at non-skill position oh, players. Oh, no. Reggie Bush. Reggie Bush was the last non-quarterback. What year was that? 2005. 2005. Okay, I missed that. Yeah. So the last yeah. non-quarterback, non-Alabama. Okay, but still, stat remains. Like, if you're going to, like, place a bet for a person yeah. that doesn't play quarterback and they're not in Alabama, then you're wasting your money. Yes, if you're placing a bet, <coughs> either... Yeah, well, that also does contribute to the Will Anderson value at 20-1, to 1, but the Dylan Gabriel one, I still think, is the... If you are, if you are thinking like most voters, Dylan Gabriel probably represents the most value at 20-1. to 1. Agree. All right, we got to pause... We're going to hear from our friends at Sling and at Roback. And then we'll be right back to talk about this Manti Teo documentary because, man, that thing was wild and it brought back a lot of crazy, crazy memories. We'll be right back. Welcome back. We got to talk about this Manti Teo documentary. Are you texting me over the weekend? You're like, I saw this on a plane. We, we have to spend a whole podcast on this. And I, I watched it too. It was... It was wild. It, it brought back so many memories from 10 years ago that, I mean, I just remember the, the season, that story breaking, and then the, the night Deadspin broke the story, I was actually in San Diego working on a, a story for SI, and they sent me, they were like, drive to Renaya Tuiasasopo's house in far, far east LA County, like way out yeah. toward the desert. And go knock on the door. So I did, and uh, nobody answered, but I knocked on the door. Were they home? Uh, they were home, and there were TV trucks everywhere, and it, it, was, it was wild. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, so you and I were in very different positions because you were a national college football reporter at the time, and I was a 21-year-old Ohio State reporter that was making seventeen grand a year. So like your perspective on it and mine would be very different. And I don't know from watching the documentary, did you learn anything that you didn't know? Yes. Well, it answered the biggest question I had because I didn't know what the motive was. And before I go into this, I I will warn everybody now. Spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you don't want the documentary spoiled for you, 
We turn this podcast off right now. Go watch it and come back after you've watched it, and and we'll have a, a fun discussion. So, when we found out what has happened with Renaya Tuarasosopo since then, it all made sense because my biggest question that that was not answered back then was what is the motivation for anyone to do this? Were they just trying to torture Manti Teo? Was Manti Teo in on it? Who 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 perpetrated it? Like. Why would you perpetrate this? Well, now it all makes sense. So for those, for those who haven't watched it, it's, again, I'm going to spoil it for you. So Renaya Tuiasasopo now goes by Naya. Renaya is, or, or Naya is, is a transgender woman. And this character of Lene Kakua that Manti Teo thought was his girlfriend was an invention of then Renaya Tuiasasopo, essentially... I don't know, Ari, a projection of the person they wanted to be? Yeah. I think, I, is that well, I mean, is that the, the right description? You no, know, listen, I've never been in a position where I've wanted to do this. But I've seen enough catfish episodes with Handsome Neve to know that I feel like most of the time, the motivation, if not all the time, is the same type of manifestation of trying to project an image of yourself that, on, you, that want you want. You know, regardless yeah. of what the main motivation is of where you are personally in your life, you know, there are things about yourself that you need to change or that you or that you want to change and that you don't like that you project onto somebody else on the Internet. You create that image of yourself and then you can feel like you're that person. Um, yeah. So, like, while I can kind of understand why somebody would get an outlet doing that, I don't think that it excuses how terrible it was. Um, no, it doesn't. You know, you're, you're torturing another person. And, and you find out that Manti Teo was not the only person Naya Tuasasopa did this to. No, I like know. There were multiple people, and they would cut and run when when it, it started getting a little bit yes. you know, hairy. So, like, the, the things that I learned, because, like, being an outsider, I, I was aware of all the jokes, and everybody, you know, everyone knows what happened. But I never knew, before watching the documentary, that people, A, thought that he was in on it, or that people, like, thought that that was part of the potential there, and yeah. B, questioned his sexuality as a result of this. And the other stuff that he had to deal with other than just having his heart broken. Because, like, I do think that it is a, as odd as it is to maybe some of the older generational people who are listening to the show to understand how somebody could fall in love or care about somebody that they've never met in person. I do think that in this world of texting nonstop and phone calls and all the things that we have at our disposal, that you could learn to really care about somebody. And it's funny because I had met my current wife. Um, in person many times, obviously, but her and I were in a long distance relationship for many, for two years. And she was in Dallas and I was in Ohio and our relationship in the rock of it was just based on talking to each other and, and learning each other and, and really having those moments that it's kind of easy to not have in person because, you know, you're not looking at your phone, you're not watching a Netflix show. Like all we had was each other. So I understand what it's like to feel deeply about somebody that you have that personal connection with. And I but honestly, you knew she was real because you had actually met her in person. That's right. And, I, and I'm not saying that it's not gullible. It's not naive. How many times can you be talking to somebody in a year where their FaceTime doesn't work? I understand all those things. And if anybody wants to criticize him for being gullible or naive, then it's an understandable thing because, you know, it's really hard to put yourself in that position and not be like, well... Why didn't they see each other at least one I, I time? Have a th I have a theory on that, too. And, and he kind of talks about it in the documentary. And uh, he was talking about how, you know, he wanted a situation where he could just focus on football. And this allowed him to have a relationship with somebody, but not actually commit to it. And he could focus on football. Like, he never had to go on dates. He never had to go to the movies. He didn't have to do any of that. I also think, too, um, that he went to a place that doesn't have a lot of people like him. Exactly. So, he talks about that. And he too, talks yeah. about it in the documentary, but there aren't a lot of Polynesian people um, from his background at Notre Dame. So when yeah. he went to Notre Dame on a whim, which I thought was the most interesting thing in the documentary of how he decided not to go to USC. I, you know, it, that one, that one was explained a little differently than also how it happened in real life. Like I was on the radio with Rick Neuheisel last week. We, we did a show together and Rick said, because Rick was UCLA's coach at the time, Rick said he had Manti Teo committed. Yeah. 
And then he got a call like from a tearful man, Titeo, saying, I, I can't come. My dad says I can't come. And at the time, so Robbie Toma, who was interviewed in the documentary too, was a receiver at Notre Dame that was a, the high school teammate of Teo. Robbie was the package deal. Like you had to take Robbie if you, if you got Manti. And like Rick talked about telling Manti, you know, I have to call Robbie now and tell him that I can't take him because you're not coming. And, and Manti being like, oh, what, really? Yeah. So there is more to it than, than, and I get you're doing a documentary. You don't want to get too bogged down. Well, in like the, the thought that he, yeah, I mean, recruiting is very complicated. But the thought of going from his background to Notre Dame is foreign. And honestly, if you go look at a lot of the Polynesian players that are still committing to this day, they're predominantly going to the West Coast. Now, Alabama yeah. and Ohio State and Georgia's of the world are still getting in on them because, of course, they are. But they're still more comfortable on the West Coast because that's closer to, to familiarity. So if he didn't have a lot of other people that looked like him and, and came from his background and frankly had the same religion he's and also, faith as him. Also, yeah. yeah, right. He's Mormon at a Catholic school. And you find somebody is, yeah. who who can understand you from that. And, and, and Naya, who was doing it at the time, did because he also or she was also well, in a position at that time. Well, like Renaya Tuiasasopo was was like a worship leader at, at a church in California so, or like a, in the choir and all that. Yeah. So at the time they were able to connect on that level. So yeah. um, I 100% understand it. Now, what I did not know, and I, and I always felt bad, like I always just felt bad for him. Like the last 10 years, like when people make fun of him, you got to put into perspective too that this was 2000, what, 10 or 11? This is 2012. 2012. Like this stuff wasn't really even happening yet. So like, you, no. it's like so easy. We are all familiar with the catfish show and, you know, FaceTime and stuff. It was like, and I FaceTime my friends. I FaceTime Brittany while we were dating for years. But did people FaceTime as, as regularly then as they did now? Or was it Skype with a camera on top no, of your monitor? FaceTime, FaceTime was a brand new concept and it didn't work very well. So like that part of, oh, it's not, it's not necessarily working. Like, Cause if you didn't get FaceTime now, it, it'd be crazy. Yeah. But back then, like when you like, look at, um, it just like, it's pretty, it's just pretty sad. And the fact of the matter is, is that it had a, a real life impact on not only his, his well being and his psyche, but his professional football career. And you know, Oh, he was doomed from the start as an NFL player. Cause he, because they, of all they were showing the clips of him at Notre Dame. Oh my God. He was a beast. I mean, like he was so, so good. At the college level. Now, now one, one thing I thought the documentary, and I get it, they're doing a documentary for an audience that doesn't necessarily remember vividly the 2012 college football season. Like, they made it sound like Notre Dame if was, none of this had happened, Notre Dame would have a chance against Alabama. Notre Dame never had a chance against you Alabama. Know, but you know what was actually really funny that I was thinking about during the documentary? Because that was yeah. Urban Meyer's first year at Ohio State, and they were no long, oh, they yeah. weren't allowed in the playoff that year. I think if Ohio State would have advanced to the BCS championship game that oh, year, I think go. Notre Dame would have won. What do you mean, oh boy, here right. we go? Yeah, I, you yes, thought I was going to say something. That else, Ohio State team was deeply flawed, and Urban Meyer would tell you that. Yeah, like, and if there was twelve and zero Notre Dame versus twelve and zero Ohio State, which was the worst Ohio State team of the Urban Meyer era, yeah, I think Notre Dame would have rolled them. Did you think when you yeah. said, "Oh boy, here we go," did you think I was going to say Ohio State would have won? No, I, I didn't know where you were going with that, but I think you're, you're definitely right and, and feel bad for, for Georgia because, you know, remember Georgia lost that classic SEC championship game against Alabama. Had there been a four-team playoff, those are probably your four teams. Georgia would have crushed Ohio State or Notre Dame had they The fact them. that that Ohio State team went undefeated is still a miracle. Like, I have no well, idea how that team went undefeated. Braxton Miller! <laughs> but it also kind of I mean, shows that, you the absurdity of the old system. Yeah, because they Braxton would have gone. Miller and duct tape. Essentially, is is how Ohio State. If that Ohio State, that if Braxton year. Miller and duct tape played Notre Dame, who do you think would have won the game? Notre Dame would have won that game. It, it Notre Dame had some good players. Don't get me wrong. Like they had Lewis Nix. Obviously, they had Manti Teo. I believe that's Stephon Tuit at this point. Uh, there, there's some, you know, uh, Tyler Eifert's on that team. So there's some good players on this team. But you know, they're also. They're just they're starting Everett Golson at quarterback. Yeah, like you know th that Aaron Murray Georgia team have if they play the way they perceived it in the document or the way they communicated it in the documentary was that out that that year's team was last year's Bama team or I mean two years at yeah. Bama team they made it right. seem like they were like 2001 Miami 
Like they when weren't. 2012, Bama was actually really, <laughs> really, that really team. good. I mean, they yeah. were great. Yeah, yeah. So, so. you know, I, I really learned a lot, and I think that I hope at the very least that the people who watch this show, um, and somebody made a comment in our in our live chat here. That's true. The amount of ridicule that he received from mainstream media outlets like SNL and things like that. Yeah. You know, and how many things and details were wrong. And, you know, they, they a large portion of the documentary was about how it was some of the misreporting was done um, in the main ESPN uh, SI well, stories. All right, let's, let's put a pin in that because we didn't get into the, I, what I think is the more interesting piece of this. And that is, that's the media aspect of this. Yes. Because I do think there's a lot to, to chew on because... It has to do with mistrust of the mainstream media. It has to do with when you get the story, getting it right mm -hmm. uh, on several levels and then how we all react to, to what we consume. So let us take a little break. We're going to hear from Run Your Pool. We're going to hear from Peloton. And when we come back, we will discuss that because it's, it, it is a meaty, meaty topic. We'll be right back. Welcome back. All right, all right, we got to talk about the media aspects of this because it's two different things that are the same thing. It is tapping into the public's general mistrust of the mainstream media and and the joy and the, the schadenfreude of, I think I pronounced that word right. I think it's schadenfreude. But schadenfreude, yes, that. I always get it wrong. Of exposing the mainstream media being wrong. And, and we're talking huge outlets, ESPN, New York Times, Sports Illustrated. And then there's also the aspect of when you get the story, uh, in a story about people not verifying stuff, you throw uh, an off the record comment in there where somebody claims that Manti Teo was in on it. When he, now we find out absolutely wasn't. And it changes the tenor of how people view everything from then on. But we'll start with the first one because I was at SI at the time. I did not write the, the Manti Teo cover story. Um, you know, ESPN covered it. The New York Times covered it. And you always, like, you always want to think you'd be the one who got it. Who, who was like, nope, can't verify this, leaving it out. Or, nope. We're gonna we're gonna find this this person doesn't exist. We're, this is a story now, mm -hmm. and it's you you think and it was a good reminder for me because yeah. I've always you know they teach you in journalism school, but you know as you get going you 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 don't always dot your eyes and cross your t's as well as you should. But since then, I have this question. I just ask myself: Can I verify this? Can I absolutely 100% verify this? And if I can't, you just leave it out. The whole story was that. Yeah. So I mean, it had me thinking because the most interesting um, situation about this whole thing is that Deadspin wrote a story making fun of everybody for making mistakes. And they did a tremendous job reporting it. And they, they found out that they that who it was that was behind it. They found out that you know people had information wrong. But they're it was also, an incredible job reporting that story. But also, and, what they put on the uh, in their story potentially implicating him was more harmful than the errors in the other stories. I don't know that it was more harmful than <laughs> than the errors in the other stories. I, I do think it, but it didn't help for sure. Uh, you know, the the other stories that everybody really wanted to jump on this. And and look, I get, and I've had to ask some people in, in some really bad stages of grief, some very uncomfortable questions as part of the job. Like I remember as an intern at Florida Today at, at the newspaper in, in Brevard County, Florida. So I'm 19 years old. I have to do a story about a city worker in Titusville who got killed by a, a basically a driver who fell asleep at the wheel. He was mowing the median. She fell asleep, hit him with her car and he died. And like, I remember every detail of that story. His name was Willie Lee Graham. He was 67. I, I remember his salary from the city. Like, I had to call his family the day he died and ask for comment. And it was just, 
brutal. Like, yeah, I can't imagine. I don't know how people do it every day. That's part of the job, but yeah. that's part of the job. Like, so, and and that's the hardest part is sometimes you're like, oh, you know, and we jump on the we we jump on these tragedy stories, but you still have to go get the other uncomfortable details, and that's where nobody thought to call an Akakua's family and ask like, what do you think of Anti Teo? Yeah, even though that would be obviously very uncomfortable because. Remember, all these stories are coming out that week. I guess it's the Wednesday yeah. that, that this happened, allegedly, which, of course, it didn't happen. But that's also the same right, same day his grandmother died, which actually happened. Well, there's two things I want to say about this. First, I want to ask you a question. I want you to be honest, and I'll be honest in return. How many times in your career, if just like if you had to estimate, you've written in, in a sports sense, it's a sports story mm-hmm. about a tragedy where somebody passed away? Oh, it's got to be a hundred, right? Two hundred. It's, it's over. It's in the. And hundreds, how many yes. times in those hundreds did you verify the death of the person by locating their birth certificate? You mean their death certificate? Their, de- their death certificate. Sorry. Yes. Um, or, or at least confirm almost it. always. I'd say every one. Either I found an obituary, okay. or and, and like I did. A, it's funny that's or not funny. It's awful. That same year, I did a story on Jarvis Jones, who is a a pass rusher at Georgia. Uh, he was like lead, led the nation in sacks, I think, the year before, and he had a horrific story where his brother was was killed uh, at a at a this horrible bar thing. It was just a bad deal, and so yeah, I found the police reports and all that stuff, and you ha- yeah, it's part of the deal. So like, I've had a lot of stories in my t- on my time, and maybe it's more so as a beat writer. But if a player on the team of the beat that I cover had a, a father who passed or a mother who passed or their sister or brother, you know, this is something that you encounter with 85 scholarship players, a lot of tragedy all the time. And I can tell you wholeheartedly that I've done my fair share of confirming these things. But if somebody is talking about the loss of their father from when they were young, that wasn't something that people verified. Like, I don't you go verify Google the dad's name just to, to read the obituary and get more detail. You know, I, I think, you know, absolutely. I, not, But I can't say, yeah. I'm not going to sit here on my journalism high horse and say that I definitively uh, well, confirm every right, single is, death that I deal. ever wrote about. You, you probably did it more often than you remember because it's easy. Like, when, when an actual person dies, there's a, there's a record now on the internet of almost everybody. Yeah. Because yeah, no. because the, you have these obituary websites and you have. But the so, point is that it wouldn't even dawn on you. Like, how could it even like occur to you that that like as a reporter in that scenario, as much as we give Manti Teo flack for buying it, I also can understand that in that world that a, a report it couldn't even occur to one of the reporters at ESPN or SI or the people who made the mistakes that this did not happen. Well, I, I'll, I'll tell you, working at SI, and I know I know the deadline situation that, that Pete Thamel was working under. So I understand how it happened. Like that interview took place on a Sunday. The issue closes on Monday. They want everything by Sunday night. They want everything fact checked by Monday morning. Like in, in the in the SI fact checking process, like when you wrote a magazine story, the fact checker would send you back questions. And and sometimes you get so mad at the questions because they would feel like the dumbest questions in the world. But it was actually an important part of the process because sometimes the dumb questions you got to make sure you answer them. Like, yeah, because the dumb is questions person if actually they go... a person. Like, there'd be a lot of times where so they would ask me, "Did this person actually say this?" And I'd be like, "Of course they said it. I wouldn't have quoted them if they hadn't yeah. said it." Yeah, but it's but, those dumb questions that if they go unanswered and they're mistakes, right, are the dumbest but things. Yeah. Sometimes when you get in a time crunch like that. They don't, they don't get answered. Because you, you assume got, you assume that that's what happened. Yeah, what? and you got people on the West Coast, and you got to have it done by Monday morning. And, and literally and, every and everything came in Sunday night. And, and it's, the, everybody in the media had been writing about it. So it's not like yeah. one idiot made a mistake. Like every right. single person in sports media who wrote about this made that mistake. Right. But it's it's interesting. I, I was I found it very interesting hearing Jack Dickey and, and Tim Burke talk about their thought process as they were working on the story for Deadspin. And I, Jack and I cross at, at SI, we worked, we worked there at the same time a little bit, but we didn't know each other. We exchanged some emails. Uh, Tim, I know a little bit better. His wife was the copy desk chief at the school paper at Florida when I was there and, and have known him for a while. 
And so, but they had the same, I find it very interesting. They had the same thought that you and I had when we were trying to figure out how we were going to write the Bishop Sycamore story. They did. Yeah. And I was talking to my friend about that of just like, yeah, how do they make ESPN look foolish? And I think there was a certain aha because everybody loves to laugh at ESPN. But like ESPN mm-hmm. did, like I can't sit here and Except say. Except the difference was it wasn't just ESPN for it was them. Everybody, it was, it was the entire yeah. mainstream sports. But media. I also can't sit here and say to you, I wish I could, but I'm an honest. I'm, I'm gonna be honest with the people listening to the show and to myself. There is a high likelihood that I also would have made that same mistake. Me too. I like I said, you want to think that you would have been the I one do. who got it. Yes, and but I don't know that. <laughs> And the craziest thing about it, too, is that it was all right there in front of everyone's face, too. Like, it, it, like honestly, it, it wasn't like Tim Burke. I mean, they did a great job, but it's not like he reinvented the wheel. He was just the first one or, or the tip. Because, like, honestly, it was a tip that came into Deadspin that got them to look into it to begin with. So if that tip well, they, never they even did, came they in. They did a really good job getting down to it. Like, finding the woman that yeah. Tuiasasopo had used pictures of to be Laneka Kua. Yeah, and I know it was 2012 was a long time ago and it was a different time. Yeah. But how like, that, that was woman hard. never noticed with the media coverage, how not one person in her life was like, they keep posting pictures of Laneka Kua who passed away. That That's is amazing you. to me. And I, I wonder if Twitter and Instagram had been... Twitter wouldn't existed, have lasted I think a week, Instagram's, a day. Right. Yeah, I think, I think Instagram existed at that point but was not a big thing yet. I do wonder how, how quickly she would have... Seen, that seen her own picture. Yeah, because it's yeah. just like... And you think about how many people were obsessed with college football in Notre Dame. It was the biggest brand in the sport at that time. You would think that it would be in the body of a story somewhere or a family member or a cousin or a friend from high school would have seen this and been like, hey, you know, that's not... Like, the fact that the Timothy that Tim Burke had to be the person to explain it to her is, like, mind-blowing. So, and I think it, yes. it does a very good job of underlying how different times were as little as 10 years ago. So... You know, I I just hope that as a result of this documentary, Andy, that people can view him differently because I think that he did a very good job of explaining his situation, but also... I, I never thought he was in on it. Me neither. It, it didn't, didn't even occur to again, me. Again, it didn't make any sense. This is, this is another thing, like, and this is, this is the part where I, I would blame them for putting in the anonymous quote saying... A friend of of Tui Asasopo thought thought that Teo was in on it. Like, you don't have any verification of that. One of the things that when you're writing a story that, that you kind of want to make sure you get right is everybody's motivation. What is everybody's motivation for doing something? And if you can't figure it out, don't speculate on it. And in this case, unless you had Tui Asasopo saying. I think inside I'm really a woman and that's how I'd like to live my life. And this is what I was projecting onto the internet. Like, unless you have that, you don't have the real motivation for this. And so ascribing motivation to any person in the story without being able to figure that out. That's, I think if that one paragraph were to be left out of the deadspin story, that Manti's life would have been different. I don't know that it would have been any different. He still would have been made fun of him. People would have made fun of him, but like, the lack, like if you think about what he was struggling with at the end of the documentary, he wasn't struggling with being made fun of. He was struggling with his his lack of um, his lack of judgment, right? Which was what right. guided him on the football field, which would have been the same. But he also was struggling with, you know, the questions about his sexuality on television in front of his parents. Yeah, Katie Couric asking him that in front of his parents. Yes. And, he knows the answer to that. He answered it very definitively. Yes. But... Um, and I think you know, that the it, fact that the people making fun of him, I think, made it harder for him to kind of just set the record straight. And people making fun of him about things that weren't true made it it's like an avalanche. You've been on the on the wrong side of a Twitter avalanche. And Vol Nation get after you every now and then. It's happened to me. It's happening absolutely. to me right now with Michigan fans. Um, absolutely. But like the idea is, and like, listen, we've all been in, in situations where the team that we cover or the program that we cover has a crisis control, the way Notre Dame was trying to work through. How do we handle this? What do we do? But like, I feel like it would have probably, and it, again, everything's hindsight is twenty twenty. but like, he could have just come out and said, hey guys, 
I had an online relationship with a person that I cared about very deeply. It turns out that that person isn't true. I'm heartbroken. I'm devastated. And I'm hurt by what that person put me through. And you might call me gullible or naive or dumb. And maybe that I am. But I'm truly and utterly embarrassed and heartbroken over what had occurred here. And I'm going to do my best as a man to mend my wounds and move on with my life. That would have cleared up everything. You've probably just earned yourself a lot of money in the future as a crisis PR consultant because that would have been probably the best way to handle it. The, the problem is, I think you might have run into some resistance from, from Manti or the family in admitting then that you got duped because I think there, there was a, a reluctance to admit to getting duped. And that uh, they eventually did that, but they, they didn't want to come out and say but that. But also you have to look, keep in mind too that bad. they were also months removed from the NFL draft. Yeah. You know, they had other things like their financial well-being. I mean, he slid well, to the exactly. second round. Like and, the, and you're yeah. getting the questions because then you bring in the draft industrial complex and all the questions from the NFL teams, yeah. which historically they've not been the most enlightened on these subjects. That's right. So, so yeah. So yeah, let, yeah. And there's I, a there's a great discussion, by the way, in our chat in our live stream chat between Adam and Mitchell that, that I'd like to highlight here. And Mitchell makes the, the good point, and, and we've talked about this a few minutes ago, but I, I do want to reiterate this. While learning Naya Tuiasasopo's story, like learning what has happened since, makes the motivation make sense, I'm with Mitchell. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't excuse what Tuiasasopo yeah. did, not just to Manti Teo, but as... as Naya admitted in the documentary, other people too. Yeah. And I do think that there is a way to be empathetic towards people who have struggles that are different than yours while also holding the same people accountable for their actions. Because just because you're struggling with something, and it doesn't have to be this specific thing, it could be anything. I have my own struggles in life. It doesn't excuse the way that I project onto others. So, you know, I, I do think that, I hope that people who watched the documentary left the same way that I left, which was, I didn't really consider the the person who did this. I considered Manti and my my takeaway from it was we have a new perspective of a person who's been ridiculed. He looks great in this documentary and I hope that this finally helps him let go of those things. Like that's the yeah. point, right? Like that's what you're supposed to get from it. And and what you think of the perpetrator is I guess your own deal. You know what I mean? We all have our own opinions, whatever. But like to one, me one thing I would have liked to have seen in the documentary cuz they had a disclaimer beforehand saying that no one no one, when they were interviewed, knew the other person's current situation. And I would have liked to have known what Manti thought when he found out about what happened to Tui Asasopo. Because yeah. we know we know now that he knows because he's been inter- interviewed by a bunch of people. I saw he did an interview with Entertainment Tonight where he explained he, he was referring to Tui Asasopo as Naya. And so, like, under so he clearly knows what's happened now. And I would have liked to have seen what his reaction to that was. And was, was there empathy? Was there still anger? Like I, I I'm genuinely Can you be curious. Angry that's, and empathetic that's more at as the same a viewer time? than anything else. Can you be angry and empathetic at the same time? I think you can. I think you can too. I think that, that, um, he, the type of person that he was, that got him into this scenario, the gullible, giving, caring, loving person that he is, is the right reason why he is able to let go of it now. You know what I mean? Like if you were just the type of person that didn't care about others, didn't want to be there for somebody who they thought was going through a hard time, didn't like think the best in people that would put them in a situation where they were able to fall for a scheme like this, then you would be the type of person that would have anger and hatred in your heart. But he obviously is a good human being and the world is a better place as a result of his existence. And because he is who he is, I think that it's clear that he is probably still hurt and angry. His mom, I think, said at the beginning of the documentary that they still hate that person. But he said that he forgives that person and hopes that they find themselves and and you know live a happy and, and healthy life moving forward. So I think we got that answer. What I what I would like to know is um more in depth how he personally felt about everything that happened during it. Like were you yeah. heartbroken? It's not because like I didn't know that he that that the person brought Lene back to life after that. Yes. Like I didn't know that. And the fact that he was dealing with that at the Heisman ceremony 
what I, I thought was the most riveting part of the of the entire documentary. Yeah. Could you imagine having that demon inside of your heart, not knowing what side of the equation you're on, and, and the getting most, asked questions about on it, on live and then television? To keep the, yeah, and having to keep the story straight. I, I was, yeah, I was also just glad that not, there were no no video of me asking any questions at all that stuff because I was there, I was in the room. Although I think I was handling Johnny Manziel stuff at the time. So. Yeah. Yeah, you were, yeah, you were, and like, I got to remember, too, that you were, like, big time back then already. You know what I mean? So, you know, I. I was not. But, I mean, you got to, you have a better perspective of the way it should have been covered because you had progressed in your career to a point where you were kind of in the thick of it. I mean, you, you had a story of going up to the, to the person's house. So. Yeah, I was just, I was just very glad I wasn't, that I didn't draw the, the Manti Teo feature that week. I mean. Because then I would have been in put, I would have been put in that position. I explained the deadline situation earlier. You know, I, like I said, everybody likes to think they would have been the one who caught it. I'm not sure I would have been. Yeah, there's some really good reporters who didn't. And I think there's a lot of people that are probably feeling like crap about themselves right now for doing what they did in in terms of, of ridiculing him. And I hope they do. I hope it, it's a nice lesson. Um, you know, and I'm somebody who pokes fun at people sometimes too, uh, on the internet and, you know, like we make college football jokes all the time, you know, about, you know, coaches and players and, you know, funny things that you feel like are harmless, but like, it really kind of puts in perspective that these have an impact on people. And it's so easy to be a nameless, faceless person on Twitter who yaps at people and says hurtful things. And the fact of the matter is that we're real life people with real life emotions and that that has an impact. And. I mean, he it ruined his NFL career. I believe that. Well, I, I hope things go well for Manti Teo because none of that talking about it could have been easy. And, you know, he comes off looking great. He comes off looking like he handled it with more grace than most of us ever would have. So, yeah, I, I hope he's going to be all right. And uh, Ari, this has been quite a discussion. We, yeah, we started yeah. with an argument about the Heisman Trophy and we, we got into a, a crazy documentary, a crazy story, uh, a very in-depth media discussion. So yeah. this is about as uh, as esoteric as this podcast is ever going to be. I had a really, really good time talking with you about all this stuff today. And Andy, I feel like we still haven't even scratched the surface of the depth of, of all that stuff. So um, I appreciate everybody listening. And, and hey, it was good to argue with you, too. I kind of oh, helped yeah. me uh, to let out some steam because I kind of have some built-up tension. You, you needed it. And... So we'll point that we're not first take. Like we're not going to fake our arguments. Like no, I think that's, we don't we yeah. don't get there and say I'm going to take this side. You're going to take this side. If you see us yelling at each other like we were earlier in the show, it's because we really believe it. So uh, yeah, it's actually I, a miracle very, that it doesn't happen more often, considering that you think I'm a psychopath. So like you know, uh, well, listen, you did text me a Papacito's take last night that I, I do have some some anger issues. You think it's over. genuinely good? I think Papacitos is delicious. I know, but I think Burger King is delicious. It doesn't mean that it should be like treated a certain way. Yeah, but you're wrong and I'm right. That's the difference. No, I know, but like it's like, yeah, it, it gets the job done. I mean, I just don't understand how people think it's different. Oh, it, it more than gets the job done. I don't understand. Here's my number one take if you're a, a Dallas native or a Texas native who knows what Papacitos is. I don't understand why it has a cult following when all it is is Chewy's. It's not Chewy's. It really is. <laughs> it's just, I eat a lot of Chewy's. We have a Chewy's where I live. It's the same quality of food. It's way better. Okay. And maybe I'm just way not better. a profound Mexican You got to get observer. some shrimp brochettes. Tell them to bring you an extra stack of tortillas. Dip the tortillas in the butter that comes with the shrimp brochette. Eat the shrimp brochette, which is shrimp stuffed with, with cheese and jalapeno, wrapped in bacon, and grilled. And then they give you drawn butter to dump over it. Dude, I and grew also up in to a dip place, your tortillas in. Like I grew up in Phoenix, where Mexican food you could get the best burrito or taco you've ever had in a gas I station. So, like when people and like there's a lot of Hispanic people in Dallas too. So I don't know. There's some real authentic Mexican food here. You know? Yeah. It's like I I want a fish taco from a gas station in tinfoil for for two ninety nine. Whether it's authentic or not does not change how delicious it is. You are the person who thinks. Domino's cheesy no, bread know. is more delicious than most. And it's not even about so. authentic. I'm not, it's not. I'm just saying, like usually, authentic tends to be better. Like I think that Domino's is good. I don't think it's the best pizza on earth, like people keep saying. An, an authentic Italian pizza from an Italian restaurant that's done right is better than Domino's. I just don't. And like also too, like the way that people go about Papacitos, which is waiting in line for an hour and a half. 
Oh, like no, I wouldn't wait, wait in line. If it's you're waiting so in line busy. for an hour and a half for Papa C, dude, it is so busy yeah. every time I go there. It is so busy, and it's been three times. And honestly, I have no desire to ever go there again. And now I'll go well, when you come maybe, in. Maybe, maybe when when I join you there, we will we will do Papacitos correctly, and and you'll feel differently. Or so. we could get real barbecue and have like really good food. We could also do that. Ari, it's been a pleasure. Till next time. Thank you.